All right, well, we are kind of making our way down the final stretch of our summer playlist series, and we got two more songs to go, including this one. And if you're joining us, we've been looking over the past few weeks, we've been uh, just taking a look at some worship songs that we are introducing and, and incorporating into our playlist here at CBC and, and just examining some of those main themes uh, because we believe that worship really has the power and the potential to really shape and mold us as a church and as uh, believers. And today the song that we're going to look at is a song called uh, Same God uh, by Elevation Worship. And the main idea of this song is that the God that we read about in the Bible, the God who we hear about in stories that we see in Scripture, is the same God who is with each of us today. The God who existed before the beginning of time, the God who created heaven and earth, the God who has orchestrated and will continue to orchestrate all of history is present with us here and now and working in us and for us. And because of that, we can respond with both faith and hope. The passage we're going to look at this morning and spend the majority of our time is in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, so you can turn there if you, you want to follow along. It'll also be on the screen. But just to give you some context of, of Exodus 3, is, um, Israel is in, in, the Israelites are in Egypt. If you remember the, the latter part of Genesis, uh, they, they get there through Joseph, right? Story of Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave, falsely imprisoned. Long story short, rises to number two. Right? Number two in command over all of, of Egypt. And uh, during a time of famine, uh, he brings over his father, all of his brothers, uh, to, to Egypt. To, to rescue them and deliver them. And it's in Egypt uh, where uh, this family, uh, the people of Israel, would grow and multiply exponentially. Well, eventually time goes on, and uh, Joseph and his brothers, that generation, they all pass away. And we're also told that as time goes on, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh who looked favorably upon Joseph's family, he would pass away. And a new Pharaoh would step into place who felt differently about the Israelites, who viewed them more as a threat rather than a special guest. So he begins to oppress them, he enslaves them, puts them into hard labor, and he even attempts to minimize their growth by issuing a decree that every Hebrew boy is to be put to death. Right, And it's in this context that Israel begins to cry out uh, to God. So we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So for a moment, put yourself in, in Moses' shoes. 
And you can just imagine how confusing, how mind-boggling this event was for him. Now, just some background on Moses, right? Moses had a pretty extraordinary childhood, right? Born as a Hebrew boy with a death sentence, eventually set out to, to die, but through God's divine intervention, he's rescued and eventually raised by one of Pharaoh's daughters. And thus, he's given certain privileges, certain rights, access that, that no other Hebrews had. One day, as a, a young adult, he's just roaming around, and he sees an Egyptian abusing a fellow Israelite. He jumps in. He kills the Egyptian, attempts to hide the body, but people saw, they snitch, Pharaoh finds out, and he puts a bounty on Moses' head. Right? Moses decides to flee, book it, goes on the run, becomes a fugitive, one of Egypt's most wanted. Right? Eventually settles in an area called Midian, where he gets married. And for 40 years, lives a pretty mundane and ordinary life, just taking care of the family business. So we're told here that one day he's, he's out shepherding the sheep when he sees a bush that is on fire but not burning. So this strikes up a, a curiosity. He walks towards the bush and he hears a voice say, Moses, Moses. Now, the scriptures tell us, and for those of us you know, who know this story, it's like, oh, yeah, that's God in the burning bush. But for Moses, I think it's safe to assume that he has no idea who or what is talking to him from this bush. There's a good probability that God had never spoken to Moses up to this point in his life. And even though Moses had probably heard about God, maybe from relatives or ancestors or teachers, Moses grew up hearing about a lot of gods. Hearing about all of the Egyptian gods, all of the neighboring nations' gods. He heard about a lot of gods. Right, so when he hears this voice say, Moses, Moses, he has no idea who's talking to him. And thus, this is kind of a big moment. right? Because God is about to introduce himself to Moses. And it's interesting to look at how God chooses to introduce himself, right? We sang a song earlier called A Thousand Names, one of the songs in our playlist, right? An abundance of names, ways to describe God, in light of who he is and what he's done. Or in the same way, God could have said, Moses, I am the uh, God who created all of heaven and earth. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the one true God. I am Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But God chooses to introduce himself to Moses by saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, there's a couple purposes we see in this introduction. One, he's clearly differentiating himself from all other gods. Right? He's saying, Moses, I'm not any of the Egyptian gods. I'm not any of the Midianite gods. I'm not any of the gods of these neighboring nations. Rather, I am specifically the God who was with and who walked with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your forefathers. But secondly, what God is communicating to Moses is that he is wanting Moses to immediately think about all the things that he has done. To think about the things he has said, the promises he made, specifically the covenant that he made. He wants Moses to bring to mind the power Right? The love, the favor, the grace, the compassion that he has demonstrated 
so far. And you see, what God is communicating to Moses, what he's communicating to us, is that in light of what God is currently doing, right, in light of what he's about to call Moses to do in the very next section, it's important for Moses and for us to understand who God is and what he is like in light of all that he has done. So what does he tell Moses next? Verses 7 to 10. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Right? So, so God says to Moses, right, I've heard the cries of my people, and I am going to rescue them. I am going to deliver them out of Egypt and I'm going to give them a land that is good and spacious, flowing with milk and honey. And yes, they currently belong to the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Well, but, you know, we'll get to that later. But I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to give them land to call their own, just like I promised. And here's how I'm going to do it, Moses. I'm going to send you into Egypt to Pharaoh himself to rescue my people. Right? So, so Moses hears this. And understandably so, Moses has got questions, right? He has some reservations in light of what God is instructing, asking. So verse 11 But Moses said to God, um, uh, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Right? In other words, why, why, why me? Like, what abilities, what skills, what experience, what bat, like, what can I contribute? What do I have to offer that can possibly help deliver? Of these people, right? Like, if I step into Egypt, the moment I step into Egypt, I'm a dead man walking, right? I'm one of Egypt's most wanted, and if I go straight to Pharaoh, like, I'm done for. Who am I that I should go? Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. Verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites, okay? Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, uh, what is his name? Then what should, I, what should I tell them? So Moses, he anticipates, right? Okay, God, like if I, if I do this and I, and I go to the Israelites and I say the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you to rescue you. 
they're going to ask me, what is his name? What do, I, what do I tell them? How should I respond? And this is an interesting question, right? Because God has just given Moses a name. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when Moses says, when I go and I tell them the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Moses is not asking for another name. What he's asking for are some additional credentials, right? What he's implying is if I, if I go to Israel, God, to the Israelites, and I say to them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me, even though it's been 40 years since I've seen them, there's a pretty good chance that that name alone isn't going to really make a big impact. It's not going to move the needle all that much in terms of how they see me, in terms of what they hear, what they believe. You see, yes, they're going to, to recall the things that you've done right, for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how you, you know, blessed them and provided for them, how you made a covenant, how you gave Abraham and Sarah a baby when they were 100, how you preserved Isaac, how you chose Jacob over Esau, delivered them through Joseph. Yes, they're going to remember that, recall that. They're going to be encouraged. They're going to be strengthened, perhaps inspired. But they're also going to think to themselves, but our circumstances today are a little different than it was then. Egypt was a world power. Technologically, economically advanced with a military that the world had never seen before. Right, and the Egyptians had an extensive pantheon of gods that, for all practical purposes, seemed to have complete power and dominion over every other god and over every aspect of life. Even Pharaoh himself was, to believe, was believed to be of God. And in light of his success and in light of his power and the control that they exerted, who could argue? So when Moses says, God, if I go to them and they ask me what is his name, what he's saying to God is, God, you're going to have to give them, perhaps even give me a little more in order to convince us that you can actually do what you say you're about to do. Verse 14 God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now this is where we, we get the, the title that would later be pronounced as Yahweh. In our English translations, it's, it's the word Lord in all caps. And the meaning is translated as I am who I am. God says, go tell them I am. Yahweh has sent me to you. Now, God is not giving them just another name or another title, but in response to Moses' question, right, God is declaring reality. 
He is making an assertion of authority. What he is communicating to them, right, is that he not only still exists, but he is actively present and actively working. Right? He's saying, I am the God who is God and who will always be God. I am the God who is present with you and who will always be present with you. I am the God who is working in you and for you and the God who will always be working in you and for you. And you see, for, for Moses, this might not have been what he was wanting God to respond with. But this is the answer to Moses' question. Can you do what you say you can do? And God says, I'm God. That's the answer to your question. And then God continues on, verse 15. It says, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, so Yahweh, I am who I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So here we see God combining the two names. Right? He says, tell them the Lord, Yahweh, I am who I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. And you see what God is communicating is that the God who walked with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God who is actively present and working in you this very moment. And you see, what God is asking of Moses, what he is inviting Israel to do is ultimately to, to trust him. Right? What he's saying to them is, you can know me by what I've done, you can remember all that I've demonstrated. You can know who I am and what I'm like. But I'm inviting you to, to trust me with what I am currently doing. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, it says, Moses answered, um, that, that sounds amazing, but what if, what if they do not believe me? Or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you, which is a valid question. So God goes on to give Moses three signs, right? Three signs that he can perform to the Israelites so to convince them that he is the one who sent Moses, right? One, it's the, the staff that turns into a snake and back to a staff, right? It's like, Moses, that's one thing you could do to show them. He says, if that doesn't work, stick your hand in your cloak. Moses sticks his hand in his cloak, pulls it out. It's leprous, completely white as snow, it says. He says, put your hand back in your cloak. He puts his hand back in his cloak. It comes out completely restored, healed. God says, you can show them those two things. And if those two things don't convince them, you can get water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, and watch it turn into blood. He says, use those to convince them that I am the one who has sent you. Pretty amazing signs that Moses gets to see and witness firsthand. And then in verse 10, it says, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Right? So Moses is like, but, but God, I'm, I'm, I'm not a good speaker. Ever since I was born, and even as I'm talking to you, 
You can see that I am slow of speech and tongue. The literal meaning is like my mouth and tongue are heavy. It takes a long time to lift it, right? It's like I'm not a good speaker. God's response, verses 11 and 12, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God's like, who gives people, human beings, the ability to speak? It's me. And I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. And then in verse 13, but, right, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And it's obvious here, right? And I think understandably so, that Moses is having a hard time trusting that God will do what he says he'll do. That God will use him to rescue Israel out from the hands of Pharaoh and Egypt. You see, Moses believed and all that God had done, and the stories that he had heard, and how he had provided and cared for and blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he's just not feeling completely confident that he's going to deliver Israel out of Egypt. Right? It's one thing to, to take care of an extended family amongst neighboring countries. It's another thing to rescue millions out of a world Superpower. Please send someone else. And then in verses 14 to 17, it says, Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. So we, we see God's holiness, his, his righteous anger, right, towards Moses' doubt, his fear, his ultimately his resistance, his disobedience. But even more so, what we see is God's grace and his compassion and his mercy in response to Moses' struggles and his brokenness. He says, all right, Moses, how about your brother Aaron? He's a pretty good speaker. He is already on his way. I've already sent him to help you speak to my people. You see, amidst Moses' brokenness and his struggle and his inadequacy, God already knew how Moses was going to respond. And even though Moses in that moment felt like what he needed most was for God to send somebody else, God had already set in motion his provision for Moses to give him what he needed needed in that moment 
the song that we're going to sing later this morning, a big part of this song, same God, is, is just bringing to mind some of, of the things that God has done throughout history. To just remind ourselves of who He is and what He's like and light of those things that He's done. And the main purpose of bringing those to mind is, is, not, is to praise Him, but it's not just to praise Him, even though we can definitely praise Him and He's deserving of praise. But it's so that we can then, as a response, seek God in our own challenges, in our own hardships. That in light of what God has done, we would invite Him into our own struggles, into our own brokenness, so that we can ultimately grow in our ability to trust Him in what He is doing. Uh, The opening lyrics says, I'm calling on the God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. I need you now to do the same thing for me. Later on, it says, I am calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. I'm calling on the God of David, who made a shepherd boy courageous. I may not face Goliath, but I've got my own giants. And then as we move to the chorus of the song, it turns our attention from all the things that God has done, for who he is, what he's like, to our own need for God to, to intervene to help us in our own challenges, in our own hardships. It says, oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. You see, when we come before God and we cry out to God, we need you. You know, when we declare our need for God, what we are in essence expressing, what we are acknowledging, is that there is a level of uncertainty. There is a level of mystery when it comes to what God is currently doing. Right? That as believers, we we can know and believe without doubt all the things that God has done. Right? We can uh, believe and know that who He is and what He's like, that He's good, He's loving, faithful, perfect. We can believe that he is present with us. We can believe that in the end, no matter what he does, it's going to be good and it's going to be faithful, it's going to be perfect. But sometimes in that moment, it's hard to fully see or grasp or understand what God is doing. Right? Sometimes we encounter certain struggles, certain hardships, certain obstacles where we may begin to wonder, God, like, Where are you? What are you doing? So when we go to God and we say, God, I need you, what we are in essence saying is, God, I could use a little more. I could use a little more proof, evidence, confirmation, encouragement, help, hope that you're with me, that you're working for, for my good, that I could use 
a little more revelation, that you would just do more to help me in this time of need. And you see, when we come before God with that kind of cry, he does not scold us, he does not rebuke us, but rather he, he welcomes us. He invites us to bring him those needs. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, whatever is weighing you down, whatever is burdening you, whatever is causing fear and anxiety, whatever is making you weary and tired, bring those to me and I will give you comfort and rest. In Mark chapter 9, uh, we get the story of Jesus uh, with his disciples, Peter, James, and John. They're, they're away for a bit for the transfiguration. And when they come back to the other disciples, they see some commotion between the disciples and some of the crowd that had gathered. When they seek to inquire, like, what's going on and what's the commotion all about, a, a man stands up and he says, uh, well, I, I brought my boy to see your disciples. And my boy here has been possessed, has been terrorized by an evil spirit pretty much for his entire life. And oftentimes it, it throws him to the ground and it, it tries to kill him, makes him jump into fires and tries to drown him in pools of water. So, so, I, so I brought him to, to your disciples to see if they could help and I can't help. It couldn't do anything for my boy. And then he says to Jesus, Jesus, if you're able, could you find it in your heart to help my boy? And Jesus says, everything is possible. Everything is possible for the one who believes. And then in Mark 9, verse 24, it says immediately, immediately without even thinking, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You see, we see this tension within this father. On one hand, he's like, I do believe that you have the ability to heal, that you are who you say you are, right? More than likely, he's seen Jesus heal other people, cast out other demons, even saw some of his disciples doing some of those things. So he believed that Jesus had the ability to heal people. But at the same time, he has witnessed his entire life his boy suffering with no one or nothing able to help. He even brought his boy to the disciples and they couldn't help. He's probably even seen or heard that even though Jesus healed a whole lot of people, there's also been a lot of people who Jesus hasn't healed and didn't heal. So there is a part of him that believes, but a part of him that's also struggling to believe or even know what to believe in that moment. So he says, help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus receives this cry for help. And he blesses this man. He heals this boy. You see, what this man is ultimately bringing to Jesus is all that he needs. Right? What he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, I, I, need, I, I need you. 
to heal my boy, and I need you to, to help me to, to trust, to believe that you are present, that you are working in me, for me. What do you need from God this morning? What do you, you feel like you need? What do you desire of God and, and, and from God? You know, for some of us, we may know exactly what we need. You know, maybe it's his provisions for our kids. Maybe it's blessing and just help with our marriages, with certain relationships, family and friends. Maybe it's guidance, direction for, for school, for career, finances. Maybe it's just our own struggle with certain fear, certain doubts, certain worries. And God says, well, whatever those needs are, bring those to him. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Maybe for others of us, we, we don't know what we, what we need. You know, I, I know there's times even for me where, you know, I'll just feel discouraged, feel overwhelmed, sometimes frustrated. And, and I can't pinpoint why. And sometimes it's just, God, I, I need, I, I need, I just need you. I need your help. I need your grace. I need your provisions. And I don't even specifically know what I need. And God says we can just bring those to him as well. Romans 8, 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That we can come before God and just cry out to God our need for him, even though we don't fully know all that we need. But we can do that because he knows what we need. And the Spirit knows, and the Spirit prays on our behalf. All right, so as we close our time this morning, as we move into to this song, as we bring to mind some of the things that God has done, the ways He has demonstrated who He is and what He's like, we are invited to ultimately bring our needs to him. Whether we can articulate our needs, whether we cannot articulate our needs, to cry out and entrust him with who we are, with our struggles, our weaknesses, our brokenness, our fears, our worries, the things that we need from him and, and of him. And we can do that with confidence. We can do that with, with hope because the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob and Moses, Joshua and David, the God of all of the disciples and the early church and every believer who has ever lived this earth, the God who walked this earth, died on a cross, rose from the dead, is the same God who is with us here and now. 
and the same God who will always be with us and for us. Will you pray with me?